Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Germany in Focus, a news podcast made possible by members of The Local. Today, we're digging into why Germany's new citizenship law has been delayed in the Bundestag and why the topic of integration is surfacing once again. German states and Chancellor Olaf Scholz have drawn up measures to change Germany's rules on asylum seekers. So we'll tell you all about that and what it means. The future of the 49 euro ticket is safe, at least for now. We'll talk about the latest agreement on the travel pass. Finally, we'll talk about things that have confused us about renting a flat in Germany and how we dealt with them or tried to deal with them. I'm Rachel Loxton and I'm in Berlin today with journalists Rachel Stern and Imogen Goodman. Hello. Hi. Hi, Rach. How are you both? Not too bad, thank you. Yeah, we've had some nice sort of golden herbs, like bright autumnal days recently. Obviously a lot of rain as well. Um, But yeah, I'm doing well. Good. So this is kind of an event time in Germany and the world, I guess. We have St. Martin's Day coming up on November the 11th. Also, Carnival starting. And we also have Diwali on November the 12th. There are lots of events happening in Germany. Can you tell us about some, Rachel? Sure, Rach. So to preface it, Diwali is pretty much India's most important holiday. And for a lot of Hindus, it's basically like Christmas. Um, That's at least what my friends have told me. And um, I started researching some events for an article, which we'll link to in the show notes. And one of the largest is actually the Diwali Festival in Berlin, which is in its second year now. And it's a huge community celebration with dance performances by artists, a lot of traditional food stands, um, and a Bollywood dance party afterwards. And it's not so expensive to go about eight euros a pop. So I think that's a fun thing for anybody to check out um, the weekend following Diwali. There's also the Diwali Mela Traveling um, Lights Festival, and that is a traditional light show, even with fireworks, that's going to be coming to Hanau this Saturday on the 11th, so the day before Diwali starts, Hamburg, and then Cologne after that. And it's going to also feature a lot of dance, music, uh, tambola, uh, drumming shows, and uh, for kids, also a big animation event and lots of street food. And of course, for some people, the holiday is a bit more solemn and religious, and so temples all around the country um, are hosting events, uh, candle lighting events um, on November 11th, the night before it starts. This sounds really nice. Thank you both. This really fun, lovely events happening. Let's get into it. It has been a bit of a strange week in Germany. 
Once again, the topic of what counts as being integrated has reared its head, and there's still a lot of negative talk about the Palestine solidarity marches, which we got into in last week's episode, and it all seems to be connected. But this rhetoric is having an impact. Some politicians are going as far as to say that the German citizenship reform should be stopped. And the first reading of that law was postponed this week. It was meant to be have its first reading in the Bundestag. So let's try and dissect what is going on. Imogen, what do demonstrations on the streets calling for a ceasefire in the Middle East have to do with Germany's citizenship reforms? Well, I think it's important with this question to take a little step back and kind of understand the context of these reforms in the first place. As you may know, um, something we've talked about a lot is that multiple nationalities or dual nationality can be held by some groups in Germany and primarily people with an EU passport. Non-EU citizens, on the other hand, have been excluded um, until now, and that is what they are hoping to change. So obviously the current rules do disadvantage someone from the United States or Australia just as much as someone from the Middle East or Africa. But when you've kind of listened to the reasons given for this like somewhat arbitrary rule, it does seem more targeted at the second group. So in the past, politicians from the CDU, who, as we know, have been the major opponents of all of these reforms, have even claimed that allowing dual nationality would allow Turkish nationals in particular to tear the country apart from within. So there's this real feeling here that foreigners, particularly those from predominantly Muslim countries, simply don't share German values, that they're not integrated. And even at the more extreme end, there are implications that that some of these groups somehow sympathize with terrorists or authoritarian leaders in their countries. So fast forward to this year, and you may be able to see how expressions of support for Palestine and especially the coverage of these protests in the media have played into these narratives. There has been a large presence of people with a migration background at many pro-Palestine gatherings, uh, largely because there's a large support in the Turkish community for the Palestinian cause. Of course, There have also been some instances, particularly in ones we've talked about in Berlin's Neukölln district, which has a large Turkish population, where there were clashes with the police, as well as violence and anti-Semitic chants. Of course, there have also been very peaceful protests at the same time, and I think the majority of them have been peaceful. But at the same time, this has absolutely played into the narrative that pro-Palestine demonstrations and support for a ceasefire are both driven by migrant communities and that they're inherently kind of part of this problem of anti-Semitism and perhaps even support for terrorism. So in light of these pro-Palestine protests and fear about fears about the rise of anti-Semitism in Germany, the CDU has been calling for a complete halt on the citizenship reforms. And now the Free Democrats, who are in the current coalition government and actually used to support these reforms, have now jumped on board, saying that they essentially no longer support easing up the rules, or at least not as they currently stand, Mm -hmm. that there need to be tougher rules and a tougher crackdown on anti-Semitism in particular. So... That unfortunately means that the Bundestag debate that was set to happen this week has now been postponed um, and the government will potentially have to go back to the drawing board on this or at least try to tweak a few things 
to ensure that everybody is happy. What else are German politicians saying about integration? Because as you mentioned, that keeps coming up in the conversation. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There is this kind of spectre that keeps rearing its head of German values. No one's quite defined what that means, but it seems to be a catch-all term to kind of talk about certain groups of migrants that maybe you feel aren't German enough for your liking. One good example recently is the CDU Secretary General, Carsten Linnemann, who was the really vocal one in the CDU calling for these citizenship reforms to be stopped. So he told the press that easing naturalization rules would create problems rather than solve them. Uh, he said it had become clear that just speaking German or gaining citizenship clearly didn't lead to the appropriate level of integration into German society or the adoption of German values. So in other words, once a foreigner, always a foreigner. Somewhat surprisingly, uh, for a party that's supposed to be on the liberal end of politics, the FDP have even gone a fair bit further over the past few days and weeks. So Secretary General Bijan Dejia Sarai said that anyone who doesn't recognise Israel's right to exist, expresses anti-Semitic statements, or even who has caught attention at one of these demos, should be barred from citizenship or even deported. Another statement or tweet that has caught attention recently was from another FDP politician, uh, Katya Adler, and she said that she felt that migrants uh, should share German values and also want to celebrate things like Christmas, Easter and St. Martin. Day. Mm, I don't think many Germans celebrate St. Martin's Day. <laughs> I think kids kids definitely have fun with their lanterns. But yes, I, I don't think this is a widespread thing. I think many Germans have admitted that they also have a pretty thin gr grasp of what that's all about. So it was very interesting that this was one of the things uh, she mentioned. Yeah. Um, and of course, another valid point to make about that, that, that someone made on, on Twitter, in fact, or the website formerly known as Twitter, was that her statement doesn't just include exclude Muslims, uh, but it also includes practicing Jews, for instance, who in some cases may not celebrate Christian festivals like Christmas or Easter. Others kind of pointed out that it's not particularly liberal to sort of enforce participation in particular religious events. I think the idea, I suppose, of a liberal society is that we all have freedom of religion yeah. and of belief. What is kind of clear from all of this, though, and all of the statements being made to the press in the past few weeks, is that the language around foreigners in Germany is really getting toughened up. And this has definitely played into the pause on citizenship rules. There are quite good arguments to say that this really is about populism. This is just playing politics at this point, since I think, as we've mentioned before, the draft law for citizenship as it stands already takes a pretty tough stance on anyone who's caught committing hate crimes of any sort, including anti-Semitism. Can you sum up what we are expecting from the new citizenship law and the timeline? And do you think either of these things are likely to change? 
Yeah, well, as we've mentioned before, uh, the kind of headline changes are the dual nationality or allowing the holding of multiple nationalities, which is a really huge one for lots of foreigners. The other thing that's changing or hopefully changing is that the residence requirements will be reduced from their current eight years down to five, or in some really exceptional cases, uh, three, for instance, for people who speak brilliant German. There are also some moves to ease up language requirements for more elderly people and also toughen up rules around claiming benefits to ensure people aren't just trying to migrate into the welfare system. Uh, So this law has been passed by Cabinet that happened back in August and the first reading was due to happen this week with the aim of a vote by January and bringing the new rules into force by April next year. At the moment this is looking less and less likely to become a reality. So I can't personally see the meat of the legislation changing, but thanks to the FDP's apparent blockade, we're now facing potentially weeks more wrangling and debate before this thing gets finally put to the Bundestag. That means that the timeline is definitely being thrown off course right now. And we could also see tweaks to the legislation, um, particularly in terms of toughened rules around anti-Semitism in particular. Let's hear now from Hakan Demir. He's a Social Democrat MP in the Bundestag, and he has been part of the team working on the law. I asked him why there is a delay and what it means for the legislation. The first reading has been delayed by the party of uh, FTP because they have still some questions. And the question mark that they have right now is if the new Citizenship Act is good to pretend any person that is anti-Semitist to be a German citizen. So that's the problem that they have. For me, as far as I know, uh, right now we have a law that says that no person that is racist, uh, that is uh, anti-Semit and is against democracy can be a German citizenship. We have this law right now. And we will strengthen it. But for the FTP, it's not enough. Do you have any idea of what they want to see extra? Because as you've said, the draft law already tightens the law around this. As far as I know, they uh, want um, people that will be German citizens to actively say that they are for the existence right or existence recht of the state of Israel. That's one point that that the FTP has. And now uh, we have to figure out in what way that can enter the new Citizenship Act and if it's a good point to, to, to do so. By now, it's also clear that they have to respect all states that are um, existent right now, for sure also uh, the state of Israel. That's that's also clear right now. But the FDP wants to go beyond it and we will we will talk about it. Uh, and I think that won't stop the, the whole whole uh, process or the whole act. Mm-hmm. Okay, so but do you have a date for when the reading first reading will be or is that still up in the air just now? It could be that we have the first reading, I don't know, uh, this week or, or the next week. Uh, it could happen because I know that Rolf Mützenich, uh, our uh, factionary uh, leader, is, is, is talking to, to FTP and to, to the Greens and um, also Olaf Scholz because it's a big issue for us that we go forward with, th- with this act. 
and lots of people are expecting us to pass this law and they are waiting for 20 years and so we are under pressure and we will give um, this pressure also to to the FTP because we are also waiting for it here in the in the, in the parliamentary sessions or process uh, for one year uh, more or less and i hope that we will have yeah the first reading this year and it's still too late actually but uh, i i hope so yeah and this is obviously on the back of the the palestine solidarity protest that have been going on there's a been a lot of concerns raised about anti-Semitism. And some politicians, especially in the opposition conservatives, have said they even want to stop the reform going through in light of these protests. What do you think about that? I think, for instance, the CDU and CSU, they don't need any um, focusing events like we have right now, demonstrations on on, on the streets of Neukölln or, or Berlin and, or Essen and so on. They don't need any focusing events to be against uh, this law. The CDU and CSU, they are, uh, because they're like they are, uh, they don't need any further reasons to say that they're against it. They are clearly from from the beginning, or if we if we say for 20, 30 years, they are against this law. <laughs> so, uh, but right now uh, they have um, other arguments as well that they say what what is diff- totally wrong and terribly wrong to say the people who are right now um, demonstrating, some of them against Israel, that they are Germans with Muslim background. And we don't want uh, further people to be uh, Germans because um, they are uh, anti-Semitists and so on. Uh, that that's a stereotype that uh, CDU CSU has, and I think we have a terrible wrong discussion culture right now in Germany. And I think that gives us lots of pressure with regard to to all acts that we have before us. Yeah, that influenced us as uh, as us as well. If we see that people are demonstrating and and the CDU says who has this kind of um, discussion culture right now, but we have to be more clear, be rational. Yeah, to just follow our our aim to have a good new act uh, that is good for the democracy and is good for 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 people that that will be Germans and. Uh, we will be at the same level like uh, countries like USA and Canada with this new law. And we shouldn't uh, listen to CDU, CSU and the bad and wrong discussions and stereotypes that they have. And politicians have, who are kind of against the citizenship reform or have concerns about it have also been talking about this argument of integration that many foreigners or people with a migrant background aren't integrated enough. So I just wondered, Hakan, what you thought about that, because isn't that just in the opposite direction of how the German government wants to go? Because the government's always talking about Germany showing that it's an country of immigration and this kind of feels like this discussion feels like it's going backwards yeah i I see that problem as well that we don't send the 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 right um, signals to to us and we don't uh, send the right signals to to others that want to come to germany and want to work here want to live here there are bad signals that we are giving right now so we have to change that and i think we can change that uh, by saying okay 
uh, no matter what what CDU and CSU is saying, uh, we know that that's the right way to go, and we will um, push forward the the Citizenship uh, Act and other other laws and acts that we are still having in mind. But without saying that that we have no problems or something like that, we we agree on that 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 there are people in Germany, also with migration background, um, that are. Um, doing stuffs uh, or do, are racist or something like that, we are not uh, denying that. But we cannot say or generalize it. That's the wrong way to go. We have 10 million people in Germany with a migration background, and they are working here, they are living here, their are children going to schools, they are uh, studying, and they have a big value here in, in Germany, and we have to see that as well. Great. So we do hope that the citizenship reform will be heard in the Bundestag sometime soon. I hope so. And I I, I will also um, push forward it. And I think that we have the first first reading because the, the, the law is more or less ready to be passed. And it is, it is ready. And if we change one or two points, uh, it is not that hard work to do that. So we are ready to do it. And um, and I think FTP knows that as well. Okay, interesting. We will definitely be watching closely. Thank you so much for your time, Hakan. You're welcome, Rachel. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, let's move on. Another big story this week is that German state leaders and Chancellor Olaf Scholz have been discussing new measures around asylum seekers and refugees. It comes after many local authorities across Germany have said they're overwhelmed by the number of migrants arriving and they don't have enough resources to cope. Rachel, what changes are being made when it comes to the so-called irregular migration rules? So, Rach, there are a few big key changes. Um, To date, Germany's 16 states have had to negotiate with the government every year about who exactly is going to pay what cost for the care of refugees. And now there's going to be a lump sum of 7,500 euros per refugee um, instead of just having a general budget of 3.7 billion euros and having all of the states bigger exactly about who's going to get what. And another big change is that um, refugees or asylum seekers are no longer going to receive cash. Rather, they're going to get a special payment card that can be used to purchase all of their daily necessities um, at supermarkets. Um, And that's supposed to be rolled out at the beginning of 2024. And the 
concern previously was that um, refugees would send a chunk of that cash um, back home, but now these cards can just be used for their basic purchases here in Germany. Um, And then asylum procedures are also going to be accelerated with the aim to limit the duration to around six months, including appeals in, in court. And there's even um, a push, not just within Germany, but within the EU as a whole, for these asylum procedures to take place outside of Europe, um, for example, in Africa instead. And the last change is that the leaders have agreed to provide the highest sum of financial assistance after 36 months rather than 18 months to make sure it's really to people who are staying in the country long term. Okay, so quite a lot of changes there. We know that migration is one of the biggest issues for the German public. They've said that in surveys. Is this why the government is taking a harder line? The German government um, has been coming under a lot of pressure. Um, Just within this year, through the end of September, there were about 250,000 asylum requests, which was more than the whole of 2022, even factoring in the war in Ukraine. And a lot of state leaders have just said that they feel really overburdened. Um, In October, 600 of Germany's 11,000 municipalities municipalities took part in a survey conducted by the Mediendienst, and about 60% of them described the situation as challenging but still feasible, and an additional 40%, however, said that they were completely overloaded or even in emergency mode. And I think that feeling of being overcrowded and overwhelmed is what's led to the rise of the far-right AFD. They have about 22% of the vote in Germany, which is a record high, and that's well above um, Chancellor Schultz's SPD's 16%. And so I think the government is quite worried that if they don't take action now, they could lead um, or it could lead to even more of a rise of the right. Last month, the German government also put together a bill aimed at increasing the number of deportations of failed asylum seekers. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so authorities will no longer have to notify people in advance if they're getting deported. The only exception is families with young children. And also any member of an organized criminal group in Germany um, will be able to be deported, whether um, they were convicted of a crime previously or not. And the authorities will also be able to search shared accommodation much easier because in the past, um, those who had their asylum application rejected were kind of easily able to hide out in um, these shared places and not necessarily be found. So there's a series of measures that they're hoping will lead to the stricter and, in general, just easier deportation. Let's talk about some travel news now. Germany's state and federal governments have reached an agreement on continuing the €49 monthly travel pass, also known as the Deutschland Ticket. As we talked about recently, there were concerns from the states over funding. They wanted more assurances from the federal government from next year onwards. And it looks like they will get a bit more funding, at least for a little while. Imogen, can you tell us a bit more 
Yes, of course. So the 49 euro ticket or Deutschland ticket has been a bit up in the air for some time now. And there's basically been this slightly almost comical standoff between the central and state governments about how to fund it for the coming year. Uh, so both the states and the federal government have promised to pour 1.5 billion euros of funding each year. What hasn't been clear is how the additional costs um, incurred by the transport companies are going to be funded over and above this $3 billion that's already available. There's an estimated $4.1 billion black hole next year. So this is another bit of money that's having to come from somewhere. Basically, the states have said that they're happy to put up half of the additional costs. But so far, Transport Minister Volker Vissing has been quite reticent about whether the federal government will then be willing to match this. So there has been some progress on this, but they're only halfway there. So at a recent summit, ministers agreed on a set of future steps, basically in a sort of key points paper that would secure the future of the ticket including using unspent funds from state budgets in 2023 to prop up the transport companies. You may well ask, is there actually money left over in these budgets uh, since everything is so expensive right now? So we'll see how much money that actually is. At the moment, the long and short of it is that it looks like funding is only fully secure until May 2024. Uh, so really the states and federal governments are going to have to get back around the negotiating table once again early next year to really thresh out the future of the ticket. I have also read that it could go up in price. Is that something that they're thinking about? Yeah, that's that's sadly one possibility at the moment. One little clause that they snuck into their key points paper the other day was that they might have to look about the pricing mechanism, which basically means letting people raise the price. There was some previous talk about making the 49 euro ticket the 59 euro ticket in future, which is just as expensive, if not more expensive than some ordinary monthly tickets are already. Uh, passenger association Pro Barn has actually been very, very critical of this, saying any further price hikes would be unacceptable. I think we can all remember a time when the 49 euro ticket actually cost nine euros. So we don't really <laughs> want to see it going up again. Um, mobility experts have also sort of weighed in on this. And they've said hiking the price by just 10 euros could see subscriber numbers drop from around 10 million to just six or seven million, defeating the object of getting more and more people to use trains and buses and perhaps hindering the fight against climate change. So these are all concerns. And again, we may have to wait till next year to see what happens. Thanks, Imogen. Are you a fan, Rachel? Do you I, like the ticket? I am a fan of the 49 euro ticket. I don't know how I'd feel if it became the 59 euro ticket. Um, but it's worth pointing out that a lot of countries like neighboring France have copied the model or they're continuing copying the model. And Germany has kind of been looked at as the forerunner. So I feel it would be a shame to say, OK, we're ditching this model now and that it should find a way to stick to it because, you know, having 10 million plus subscribers in less than a year um, of having this is pretty impressive. And I feel like the numbers would only increase. Absolutely. I feel like if you look at the numbers that they're talking about and a potential sort of black hole of maybe 400 million split between the state governments and the federal governments, sounds like a lot to us. But in terms of state budgets, 
it's um, this really isn't much for such a clear statement of in favour of public transport. So I think you're absolutely right, Rachel. I think this would be a terrible shame if it did end up getting phased out. Yeah, I'm a fan too. <laughs> I have it too. I also read that they're apparently going to make it easier to get it digitally or something like that. And I just thought like it was such the thing that my problem was it was so hard to get in the first place, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely all the different kind of transport companies that you go yeah. through and stuff. So yeah, it has been a bit confusing. Yeah, we'll see how well that goes with the improved digitalization. Yeah, though I must say that it's nice now you can just hold up your QR code regardless of how you got it. They'll quickly scan it. When the controller came to me the first time around, my heart was racing. Is this really going to work? But it has a few times, amazingly. <laughs> yeah, that would be a nightmare if if it was if the app was down or something and it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> or um unstable Wi-Fi on the train and that would that's unheard of obviously. Right? Wi-Fi is oh, obviously never very, very reliable. Excellent. Thank you both. Before we finish up for the day, I want us to have a chat about the topic that everyone is obsessed with in Germany, at least in the cities, and that is renting. There's always someone who's trying to find a flat, trying to get their rent down, arguing with a landlord or the Hausverwaltung or property management or some other drama. What is the weirdest thing or the thing that most confused you about renting a flat in Germany and how did you overcome it, Rachel? Yeah, so as the token American in the booth, I have to point out that the first time I went to a flat viewing here, I saw that uh, the flat was offered on the first floor. And in America, that basically means on the ground floor. So I actually was late because I was looking around on the ground floor and then realized, wait, I actually have to go upstairs for this place, which I only realized from the landlord basically shouting, hey, we're up here. Um, And of course, I never made this mistake again after that error. And then no offense, but that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I heard it's like that throughout all of Europe. But, you know, when you're used to one system your whole life, it's a weird transition to make. Uh, (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. And so the other was also related just just to the way that things are advertised. Um, So I saw that there was a flat with two rooms um, and I thought, wow, this price is actually pretty cheap. Um, And I was expecting that to be two bedrooms as well as a living room. But I found out that two rooms is just a bedroom and then this room, which is pretty much your living room. And so after that, I realized it's not like in the States where they advertise two rooms as two bedrooms. So basically just different writing systems that I had to adjust to. But now I would laugh at anybody who thought that the first floor was the very bottom floor. (laughs) You worked it out in the end. In the end. Excellent. What about you, Imogen? Well, one thing that um, actually continues to get to me, but really tripped me up when I first arrived was the existence of security keys. So these are special keys where you have to get a special sort of permission slip from your letting agent or your landlord to get another one cut. And if you happen to be the sort of person who loses keys, then this is not the best system for you. Obviously, the argument is increased security, but, you know, I'm often very likely to lose my keys. And when that happens in England, 
I know what to do. I get a spare. I go to the key cutters and I get another one cut for a couple of pounds. Here, however, when I lost my key, uh, it happened to be a security key. And it actually took so long to get another one cut that for months, my housemates had to put their security key in the post box. I would come in, open the post box. That was our system. And it was just one of those things that crops up in Germany, which becomes like an unsolvable problem. There was some issue with me being a subletter, I think with her status, whether she was allowed to get one for me. And it all just got so convoluted. It took months. I had to cycle out to Steglitz because there's only ever one particular key cutter that will make this key for you and you have to go precisely there. So it was a very Kafka-esque scenario and one that was the bane of my existence for quite some time. So how can you avoid this? Well, obviously try not to lose that particular type of key. (laughs) But if you do get in touch, try and sort this problem as soon as possible because it may be harder than you think and more expensive than you think. And your know, <laughs> keys are so expensive here. I've lost my uh, apartment key before as well and it's like 80, 90 euros to get a replacement. I also had to trek halfway across the city whereas in the States, if you lose one, it's just a buck. So yeah, uh, yeah I think <laughs> I lost a lot more keys there than over here because I was so scared of ever doing it again. So security is better in Germany. (laughs) With the cost, it's a tax on the disorganized and on the um, (laughs) slightly scatty, I'm afraid. But yes, the security is better. (laughs) I think for me, I truly am confused that people do not only take lights with them when they move flats, they also take light fixtures. So when you move into a flat, you're left with you just see wires coming out of the roof. And I suppose that you're meant to be an electrician or have electrician skills to rewire everything. And the other thing, of course, that is quite famous in Germany is that people take their whole kitchens Mm -hmm. with them. (laughs) So (laughs) when you arrive, there's often nothing in the kitchen or maybe like a stove and a sink. And that's it. So the way I have got around that is I don't have big lights. I don't. I can live with lamps. I do not need that much light to live because I don't know how to wire things. Yeah, that's fair enough. It's one of those skills that it's like, do all Germans, are they just born electricians and carpenters and they could just install an oven and, yeah, some sort of light fixture on a three meter high ceiling. Exactly. I mean, I mean, I suppose I could employ someone to do this and maybe I will at some point, but I've just learned to live with it. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, even if you do get an electrician like we did to install the lights up there, the problem is when they go out. So now I've had a room that's just dark the whole time because we haven't gone in around to getting somebody to take a ladder and go up there again. Yeah. It's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. And you're <laughs> tall as well, Rachel. So imagine, imagine that the curses of living in a tall, high ceiling flat when you're five foot one. It's not fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm tall, but not over two meters. <laughs> so no, this is true. This is true. Yeah, but I would point out that I do have a kitchen. It's okay. It's not very well put together. Uh, it's not like I was imagining you with one of those little student like like a little yeah. one of those little grill or like toasty makers and one of the little plug-in hob on the floor. Yeah, it, it's just <laughs> bad times here. <Yeah. laughs> 
Well, thank you so much, guys. That's it for this week. Uh, Thank you to all our listeners. As always, we will add links in the show notes for the stories we've been talking about. It would really mean a lot to us if you hit follow, left a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, especially if you enjoyed it. This week's panelists have been Imogen Goodman and Rachel Stern. Our guest was Hakan Demir and our sound engineer is Reese Edwards. I'm Rachel Loxton and we hope you enjoyed listening. We'll be back again next week. Until then, take care. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.